Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you guys this morning, and uh, what a refreshing time of worship. I hope, hopefully, you're encouraged, like I am, just with our our time in uh, worship, and even just with our our missionary here. I was grateful for the, him and his family. Excited for them. Hey, this uh, this summer, as you know, we've been working through a number of different Old Testament books, and somebody was bringing up the fact to me that uh, we had this one week kind of pause in between series, and I was like, you know what? We haven't done anything where we're talking about any ladies in the Bible. So this morning, this is kind of ladies' choice. We're going to be looking at the book of Esther. So uh, hopefully that's a, a profitable time for us in the Word. But I'm excited to just dive into this topic. But as I was thinking about uh, the subject, I was thinking about one of my favorite things to do. Maybe you guys have this as one of your favorite things to do. Sleep. Anybody else really enjoy uh, sleep? I mentioned it uh, last week. There's a few people uh, that aren't here because of that. Uh, but but uh, sleep is definitely something that, uh, that a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we really enjoy. And I, I miss the college days. Do you remember the college days when you'd sleep till like 10 or 11 a.m.? Like it was crazy. You'd stay up till 2, but just really sleep in. Now, like if you get past 7 a.m. with kids, it's a miracle. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, but I remember in college, I, I even my, my roommate and I had nicknames for each other. I called him Sloth, and he called me Slumber, and, uh, and based on Proverbs 6. And so in the morning, we'd wake up, and he'd be like, hey, morning, Sloth. And I'd be like, morning, Slumber. And, uh, and, and so, but times have changed drastically. Having a family and sleep is a little bit less uh, easily found. And the, one of the worst things with uh, less sleep are these things called sleepless nights. Anybody experience those? where you're laying there, you're staring at the ceiling and uh, doing the countdown. Uh, we have one of, those, one of those alarm clocks that actually projects the time onto the ceiling. Anybody else have that? That's the coolest thing ever. Best $30 ever spent at Target. And, uh, and, and so, but when you're not sleeping well and you're looking at the ceiling, and I, I find myself doing the math where you're starting to figure out the amount of sleep you're going to get. Anybody else do this? And you're like, man, if I fall asleep in the next 10 minutes, I'll still get six hours. Then you said the time, you're like, oh, if I fall asleep in the next half an hour, I'll still get four. And like that, that timeline starts getting smaller and smaller. But what I've noticed in sleepless nights, the one positive thing that comes from those is that's usually when you're solving the world's problems, right? That's usually when you're asking like every big question, you're, you're, you're hashing through things, you're asking, so how did I end up living in this country? How did I end up living in this state? How about this city? Anybody else ever wrestle through these uh, big life-determining questions and sleepless nights? And, and, and as I was thinking about it, one of the questions that maybe you've wrestled through in your sleepless nights is how did I end up where I'm at? 
how did I end up where I'm at? Where the, This exact place, this exact time, how did I end up here? I don't necessarily mean sitting in this seat listening to me, but I mean in general. How did I end up here in this place in life, in the job that you're in, in the, in the town that you live, with the kids that you have, with the spouse maybe that you're married to? You might ask the question, how did I end up here? Maybe it's a positive question. Maybe it's a, a negative question. I don't know the answer to that, but I believe the answer to that is found in Scripture. I believe that God speaks to that specifically. In Ephesians 2.10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had a plan. God has you exactly where he wants you for this exact time, has you in the exact place that you're at for a reason. There's no such thing as accidents. You're here for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And in the story of Esther, she comes to this realization that God had placed her exactly where she was at for a specific reason. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But let me start by praying. Dear God, we just come to you this morning and just grateful for this picture and to the answer of that question. What am I doing here? Why am I here? I love that you have a plan for each one of us, that you prepared even before we arrived, that you've mapped it out, that you have exactly what you want us to be do doing. We thank you for that you're a God that cares, a God that loves us enough to give us a purpose, to allow us to have an existence that matters that you've invited us to participate in the things that you're working on and moving in in our environment around us. We thank you. We pray that you teach us, that you would expand our theology this morning to under, better understand what our call to ministry is. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at a story, the story of Esther, and she was clearly called to a specific place for a, a specific reason. And as we look at her story, I wanted to be giving you a little bit of a background on the story of Esther. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, you can start turning there. We're going to be looking at verses, uh, starting in verse uh, 10. But before we get there, I wanted to give you a little bit of a backdrop. You might remember the story of Esther from your childhood, uh, reading the amazing uh, courage that it took for her to go before the king. But I want to give you a little backdrop on the story of Esther, a few interesting uh, facts. The, the king of the time, his name was Ahasuerus, otherwise, otherwise known as Xerxes. He ruled the Persian Empire at the time, which extended from India to Ethiopia, which is pretty, I'm not a geography expert, but that's, that's a pretty huge uh, area, landmass. He, uh, he lived in the capital city of Susa, which has the current borders of Iran and Iraq. It's interesting to me how much happens in that little pocket of the world. He is the same evil king that was portrayed in the film 300, if you guys remember that movie. Maybe you shouldn't remember that movie, Bill. Um, <laughs> He's pretty happy with himself. He's pretty happy with himself. In fact, he's so happy with himself. In our text here this morning, he's just finished a party for himself for 180 days. How crazy is that? Let's, let's throw a party for me for half of a year. Like, I think that sounds a little bit self-consumed. So he's pretty thrilled with who he is. He throws a party. At the end of that party this six-month party, he has a command. He calls for his wife Vashti, 
who it says in the text, it says that she was beautiful, and it, this is the PG version I'm giving, but calls for her to come and display herself for all of his guests to see, and for that request, guess what the answer was? A big, fat, no thanks, wait a second. And so he's this ruthless king that's happy with himself. He has this request of his queen to come and display herself for everyone to see and gets a big no. He's not real happy about that. So guess what? Guess what? Queen Vashti, no longer the queen. No longer the queen. And so this Persian, we'll just say a pretty evil king from what uh, history uh, concludes about him, a pretty evil king decides to go on this hunt for a new queen. And so in a Persian example of the bachelor, he does a nationwide or empire-wide search. I recently found out a funny fact about uh, some, some guys in our church, I thought this was interesting, that they had created a fantasy league for the show The Bachelor where they choose and they have polls of choosing who's going to win and they follow and give points for different things in this, in this game. And I'm not going to mention any names, Josh Anioho, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm a little concerned about this, uh, this, uh, this show, Scott Lubert. Um, and, and so, um, so anyway, this was the, the Persian example of this uh, show, the, uh, the Bachelor, and this bracket system. Uh, so he, uh, he created... This system of going across the entire, entire empire, they're guessing that the empire was around 50 million people at the time. So massive amount of people on this search for the perfect queen. And that's when we're introduced for the very first time to Esther. Esther is a Jewish girl, and uh, in Scripture in the ESV says that she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look, like, look at. Beautiful figure, lovely to look like. In the New Living Translation, it says she was hot. No, I don't know. Um, but 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 in that in that time, she out of all the ladies in all of the kingdom, she won the king's favor. She won the king's favor. She was the one that she that he wanted to make his next queen to replace Queen Vashti. So that's when we're introduced to Queen to the new Queen Esther. And the interesting thing about Esther is not only that she was Jewish in a non-Jewish area, but she was also, she was uh, raised by her uh, uh, older cousin. His name was Mordecai. And for the last 103 years, the Jewish inhabitants had been under, they had been dispersed from their nation and they had been under this Persian empire and living amongst the people. So she was one of uh, the people that were there through exile all the way starting back uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember that story, 103 years earlier. So she's there, she's the new queen at the same time. So she's got her older cousin, his name was? Mordecai, nice, you're listening. Okay, but there's another character that I'm going to introduce you to was basically second in command, and his name was Haman. Haman. Very nice. Some people followed the flannel graphs in uh, Sunday school growing up. So Haman is the second character. He was second in command to the king, and uh, basically also very similar to his leader, was also very happy with himself, so much so that when people passed by, it was an expectation that would, someone would bow in reverence to him. And when he passed by Mordecai, he was pretty disappointed because much like Vashti, the queen, he didn't want to obey. 
He didn't choose to bend his knee. And we could go into an extended time talking about the history between uh, Mordecai's family and Haman's family. It's a pretty interesting study. But, but basically, the idea is, is that Mordecai was not willing to bow to Haman, and this infuriated him. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says that he was filled with fury and he sought to destroy all of the Jews. So his anger wasn't just focused on uh, wanting to destroy Mordecai. His focus was entirely wiping out every Jew in the entire empire. And so he went before the king, and this is all backdrop to where we're going to end up. He went before the king, Xerxes. He went before the king and said, listen, we have this group of people, the Jewish people that, that live amongst us, and they're bad citizens. I'm summarizing here. They're bad citizens. They don't follow the rules. They don't obey your commands. I want to just take, I want to just wipe them out. And for that privilege, I want to put 75,000 pounds of silver in your treasury, king. And so the king, with no regard to human life, said, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's eliminate all of these Jewish people. Here's the thing, though. This was not a small amount of people. And so what happened is be, once he got the green light, once, once Haman got the green light to do this, he set on the calendar one day that they were going to eliminate and execute every single Jewish person in all the provinces of this empire. So this is a pretty serious and intense time. Mordecai finds out that this edict has gone through and he's, he's mourning, he's in the city streets, and he's, he's, he's weeping and, 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 and calling out, man, we have to do something. And so what does Mordecai do? And that's where we're going to pick up our text this morning. Mordecai says, man, I've got to plead with Esther to go before the king and change this situation. The times are desperate. We, the desperate times call from desperate measures. And so he makes the appeal to Queen Esther saying, you've got to go before him and do something to stop this or millions are going to perish. So let's take a look in chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, at the, the response that Esther, that Esther has to this appeal. So this is Esther's response. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner courts without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me... I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Let's pause there for a second. So basically in summary here, this is a, I, I love seeing the, the human side of Bible characters because she's saying, you don't get it. If I go before the king, he hasn't invited me in. What's going to happen? Like it's done, over. Like Queen, Queen Esther finished. She's, she's like, you don't understand. This is a life or death thing. The stakes are are very high. The stakes are very high. And so she points this out to him. She says, no way. People get put to death for that. And then she points out in the last section there, what does she, what does she make note of? She says, man, he hasn't even invited me in for the last 30 days. 
Can you imagine, like, you're, if, if your, your spouse is like, you know what, I, we, let's not talk for a while. 30 days, like, that, that's, not, that's not a little deal, right? Like, like one day is a big deal when you're married. But, but for, this, for her, she's saying, it's been 30 days he hasn't invited me in. This is like suicide to go in there. Not very smart as the queen. But the truth is, is that there was a lot more at stake than just her life, Right? What did, I, what did I say before? The amount, of, uh, the amount of Jews living in that time, I was reading through different uh, commentators and talking, and some estimates estimate that around 10 million, about 20% of the population of the empire were Jewish in descent. About 10 million people, even if you went half of that, about 5 million people were executed in the Holocaust. And so, and so uh, the, the amount of people, the scope of potential impact here was unbelievable. The stakes were very high. The stakes were huge. So it wasn't just her life. It was about an entire people being eliminated from the globe. It's trying to think of parallels of this in, in our life, in our existence. And sometimes we read Old Testament stories and we're like, man, that was, that's tough. That's brutal. We have a hard time bringing it back to our present day and where the stakes are high in our own existence. I was reading a book uh, I guess it's been a little while since I read it the first time, but there's a story from it that stuck out in my mind that I think captures this idea of how high the stakes are. Can you guys listen? It's story time here in church. So listen to this story real quickly, and you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about. On May 26, 2002, a towboat on the Arkansas River in Oklahoma accidentally pushed a barge into a concrete bridge support. You guys can see that picture right there. The bridge was where Interstate 40 crossed the river. At the impact, a third of the bridge collapsed. The problem was that people on the interstate couldn't see that the bridge was out. Fishermen and boats below watched in horror as car after car shot off the edge of the bridge at 70 miles an hour, plunging 62 feet to the river. Three 18-wheelers went over, along with seven passenger cars, including one carrying James and Misty Johnson and their three-year-old daughter, Shea. The fishermen immediately began pulling survivors out of the water, but meanwhile, cars kept dropping into the river. When they pulled a truck driver out of the water, he shouted, Somebody stop the cars! So fisherman Anton Willett grabbed a flare gun from his boat and ran up to the interstate, where another semi was headed for the bridge. Willett fired the flare. It struck the truck truck right on the windshield. The driver slammed on the brakes. The wheels locked up, and the trailer came to a stop with the truck's front wheels hanging over the ledge. The driver threw it, threw it into reverse and pulled away, effectively blocking the road and warning other drivers. Fourteen people died that day, including precious Shia and her parents. But how many more would have died if Anton Willett hadn't done what it took to warn the people who are blindly headed toward their death? You and I can be Anton Willett's for the world. We know the bridge is out. We know that people are naively accelerating to their deaths. And we're in the right place at the right time with the right tools to do something about it. Your friends are about to go over the edge. People in your family are about to go over the edge. Our whole country is about to go over the edge. They don't know it. They don't see any sign of it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. That story 
when I read it, is stuck in my mind for a number of years because of that. Because that is true. It's an accurate picture of what's happening in the world around us. The stakes are high. People are going at 70 miles an hour. They're doing their life. They're doing their existence. They're doing their thing and don't realize that they're at some point going to give an account to Almighty God for their life. And apart from Jesus' death and resurrection and payment for their sins, they've got no legs to stand on. They've got nothing to stand on. So Esther, the stakes were high with millions that could potentially lose their life. But for us, the parallel is this. The stakes are also high. The stakes are also high. There's billions of people on this planet that have no idea about Jesus Christ. So that's the picture that I wanted to paint for their their stakes being high, but as well as ours being high. Let's take a look and see what Esther did in this scenario. Actually, this is Mordecai's response to her uh, her fears. Verse fourteen or verse thirteen says this: Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, famous verse, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I love, I, I believe that Mordecai has some pretty solid theology that he's presenting here in the text. The idea that he, he understood probably this, this divine human partnership probably better than most, especially in that time. He understood a few things. I thought it was interesting in his description there. Is this, he understood that God was going to rescue his people. Do you notice that in the text? If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another, another place. He understood, he understood that God, because of who he is, he's a rescuer. He rescues people. He pursues people. He rescues them. He understood that you have a choice in your life, that you're either going to be part of that or you're not. You can sit in silence. God's going to raise somebody up to do some awesome things for, for him. The same is true for us. With us in our, in our existence is this. You can either choose to be silent and be the secret agent Christian, or you can actually speak up and be able to redirect somebody's eternity. Redirect somebody's eternity. The, 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 the stakes are high, but there's also a choice to be made. The, the difference is this. A life of purpose and meaning or a life of the mundane, an ordinary life. An ordinary life where you're just following along the rest of the world doing the same exact thing. Or what he's saying, you might be exactly where you're at for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And what an adventure that changes your day if you start approaching your week in your life of like, Maybe this is where God has me for exactly right now, for this moment, for this, this conversation at the break room, for this interaction with my, my, with my friends at the public pool. For You know what I mean? That changes everything if we have that mindset. If we start thinking of ourselves as, man, I just want to figure out where God's at work and join him in it because God's going to do his thing because he's a rescuer. He's going to pursue people. But the question is, are we going to be a part of it? Or are we going to just sit by and watch? He makes that observation for Esther and says, hey, what are you, you going to do? 
You've got a choice. Are you going to sit there in silence and watch another rescuer be elevated and, and God do an amazing thing for his people through them? Or are you going to be a part of it? The choice is yours. There's a choice to be made. And I realize in my life that there's a, just on a daily, day-to-day basis, just constant little choices to either join him or not join him, right? Have you guys noticed this in your, in your routine, in your week? This, this last week we had a fantastic time of, of baptism uh, down at the, uh, uh, at the ocean front, down in Zuma Beach, and it was so wonderful seeing so many people make uh, decisions to put their stake in the, gl- the, in the ground, and, and this outward expression of the inward decision that they had made, it was fantastic. Well, at the end of the, the baptism this last week, there's a, a gentleman that had been kind of wandering, his name was Gene, I, I, I came to find out, that, that had been kind of wandering the beach, uh, and he was looking for a church group where he could be baptized. And I was like, what? What's going on with that? So, so, so he came up to me at the end. Of, we were probably done 15, 20 minutes with our baptism service down there. And he said, you know, I'm just looking. I just really want to be baptized today. And I'm, I'm like, all right, cuckoo. And, uh, and, and so I started talking to him. And it was one of those things where, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, where you have a crossroads where you could either kind of wrap that conversation up fairly quickly or you can choose to actually let the Holy Spirit move and work in that. Do you know what I'm talking about in that? Where you're like, you know, I could, I could choose to kind of, like, we, we're, we're professional spinsters, if we're honest with ourselves. Where you could, you could say, like, man, we've got a great church. Let, let me direct you here. And you can maybe make that choice down the road. And I just felt the tug of the Holy Spirit, like, hey, the, the, time, to, the time to act is, is right now. I, got, I sat down with him, and John and I talked with him for quite a while. This gentleman had a really clear testimony. He needed to put a couple pieces together in it. Uh, but, but, man, he had proclaimed that he has embraced Jesus Christ as, it, as his Lord and Savior, that he wanted to just show the world that he'd made that decision. He wants to be a, a he, he described it a soldier for him. And I was like, all right, soldier's cool. And, uh, and, and so as we talked, I'm like, Let, let's do it. Let's, let's pull people back together. We'll, we'll baptize this guy, Gene. And so we went out, we, we gathered a group back together, we baptize Gene, and, and who knows what God's going to do with that. So many times you have no idea. Like, God's called you to a moment, and who knows what ripple effect that might What if Gene's the next Billy Graham? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, like you have no idea what God is calling you to in the moment. What God is calling you to in the moment. That's the difference between a life of the mundane or the adventure of joining God in what he's doing. What an awesome thing. Let's take a look and see how Esther responds to this choice. Take a look at what her response now is. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. I love this dialogue. I kind of picture this modern day like texting. Uh, so, So then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And listen to this. And if I perish, I perish. I love it. I love the, the courage that we see in, in her response here. She recognizes that the stakes are high. But the truth is, how much more desperate do times need to get? She's got the entire, uh, her entire race, like uh, their, their lives hinging on this decision. And back to our response to this is, like, how much more desperate do times need to get in our culture, right? 
How much more desperate? So many people that are just headed to a Christless eternity. There's poverty. There's perversion. The world is going to in a handbasket. And, and, and so what, how much more desperate does our scenario have to get before we actually say, man, I don't care. Like the time to act is now. Like how much more desperate? Not to mention how much better of an environment can we ask for? We're in an environment, first off, with the freedom of speech. Maybe that's a limited period of time. But as for right now, we're in an environment, and we're in the land of fruits and nuts, like California. That's what we describe California outside of the state. Uh, uh, the, the, and, and, so, and so we're in the land. We're in, we're in a place where, man, anything goes. Why can't, why can't we invade Christ into that environment, Right? Like, we're, we've got the freedom of religion. We've got the per- permission to basically do, like, our culture is just like, do whatever, man. Do, do whatever. We were driving back from that same baptism thing. And, uh, and I don't know if anybody else made that drive back on Canaan Road after baptism. And at the intersection of, uh, of, uh, of Agora Road, and I'm still learning roads, and Canaan, yeah, at that intersection, there's two dudes out there. They've got a boom box, and they're in uh, some pretty tight clothing, and they're doing break dancing right in the middle of the street. Like, like I mean, they were going to town with all their dance moves. It was awesome. I was picking up a few. So, um, but, uh, but, but it was crazy. I was, I was saying to myself, man, if these guys can be that nutty about, they didn't even know what they were being nutty about. Like, if they can be that crazy for breakdancing, like, what is it with us and believers that, that we have to take this, like, th- this, this wealth of knowledge and this understanding of God and the a full grasp of the gospel message and keep it to ourselves? We tuck it away in our, our secret library of 3,000 books in our brain, and we just keep it there. So how much more desperate do things need to get how much better of an environment can we ask for? I thought it was interesting just with her response because what does she say? She's like, first off, she recognizes she can't do it on her own. She starts rallying people. What does she start rallying people to fast? And you got to assume with that fast, there's prayer calling out to God to, to act and to move and to respond. She recognized that the, the time to act was now, but she didn't have to do it on her own. She realized that, that the, you're not really living unless there's something that, you're worth, that's worth, that, that you have worth dying for. She was like, man, I'll do it. It doesn't matter if my life goes. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. And she calls for people to fast and pray. And the truth is, is that prayer unleashes behind the scenes the Holy Spirit's power to work and move unbelievably. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we think back to our own testimonies, we can't point to this fact of somebody gave this just seal-proof argument and there I bent my knee and submitted. No, there's always, I hear testimony after testimony after testimony. It's almost always something crazy where God was working behind the scenes in somebody's life, orchestrating events, making himself irresistible, that no longer could somebody resist him. It's not about us and our ability. Let's get accurate in our understanding there. It's not about our ability. It's about unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Two weeks ago, before baptism, it was kind of fun. We have a, a newer family uh, to our church that came to kind of the baptism 
information uh, meeting. Matt and Kathy McCormick uh, are newer to the church. They're not here this weekend. They're going to be back next weekend. But I, was, I got permission to tell about this. And their daughter, uh, Mallory, and you can see the, the picture there of Mallory. We started sharing in the, in the pre-baptism time. We are just talking about like, hey, this is a, an outward expression of an inward decision. So each one of you, we want to hear kind of your testimony of when you made the choice to accept Jesus' death as payment for your sins. And we were going around and she, she, she was sharing and she's like, man, can't say that I, I really necessarily have a story, but I feel like God's moving me to make this choice. God's doing something in my life, and, and, and she couldn't even articulate it at 13, I think is her age, and she was, but she's just like, but I know God's doing something there. And so I said, well, why don't we stick around afterwards? We'll talk for a while after this meeting and, and, and get a chance to, to chat through all this. And so we stuck around, and it was just her and her dad because her, her mom had something else that she was tied up with. And, uh, and we were just talking for a while, and I, I shared the, the gospel message, and uh, I was just saying, and, she, and the whole time you can just see in her face, she's like, yeah. I want to do that. I want to do that. And I'm sharing, I'm sharing. I was, and I was talking about kind of the, I painted the picture of marriage where like, yeah, you may have been dating God for a while, but have you actually stood in front of the, uh, stood in front and made that, de- that decision to make that covenant that you're going to follow him with the rest of your life? And she's like, no, but, but I'm ready to make that decision. I'm like, Really? You are? Like, you know how sometimes when you're sharing Christ, Rod Stewart was sharing a story this, uh, of this week, the same thing happening with a, a person making a decision to accept Christ. God's doing a work here amongst us. But it was cool. So that afternoon, uh, he, I, I, we didn't want the, the mom to miss out. And so we, I went over to their house. They live actually right down the street. It was such a beautiful thing. With the, the little mini family together, I brought Chase so he could be a part of it. We, we just spent some time, and she prayed to accept Jesus Christ into her life for the very first time uh, two weeks ago. That was a picture afterwards. She's like giving the thumbs up. And so it's so just cool to see the truth is when we actually do speak up, God's working. God's moving. God's pursuing people. The more you actually start to open your eyes and see this, like we've bought into this lie that people aren't interested in spiritual things and it's, it's just not true. God does a work. And so Esther makes the choice in her scenario to, to take a risk. She didn't even, it didn't even matter that her life was on the line. She took a risk, and God did some amazing things. We don't have the time this morning to read through the rest of the story, but I encourage you, even in your own quiet time, to read through the rest of the story of Esther and see his provision. First off, I'm going to spoil the story, but uh, first off, one, he doesn't, he, the king doesn't kill her, like the scepter goes up, gets the green light to come in. Then God does an amazing thing to save and, and protect Mordecai uh, for, from, uh, from death. Then, then what happens to Haman? You guys remember the flannel graph? He gets, I, I always remember Haman because of the hangman. They were kind of always attached to those, those two. And so, so he ends up being hung on the own gallows that he had built. The nation of Israel gets to uh, get back against all of their enemies. Like, it was just a crazy, like the best Hollywood director couldn't have come up with the end of this story. Honestly, like God did an amazing thing. It's going to be the next movie, I'm sure. Um, right after Noah. Um, Oh, wait, they're doing that. Uh, but, but anyway, the, the, God does an amazing thing. The Jewish people are saved. Their enemies eliminated. Haman ends up being hung on the gallows he made for Mordecai. This, the truth is, and what's exciting about this, is we still are following the same God, the same exact God. He's inviting us to come along for the ride. He's inviting us to join, a, join him in the adventure. He's still in the business 
of saving and restoring and protecting his people. He's still in the the business of pursuing. The question is, are we going to step up and are we going to live like that verse is true? We're here for, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I'm confident if we took that into our week, we started asking that question. God, do you have me here for a reason right now in this moment? Like in this conversation? Is it for such a time as this that you have placed me here? I think God could do some amazing things in and through us. Let me pray for us as we conclude. God, I thank you for this story. And really, like all these stories we've gone through this summer, you tend to always come out as the hero. We thank you for that. We thank you for the amazing work that you did to save the entire Jewish population of the time. That just boggles our mind. The way that you use somebody taking a risk and speaking up on your behalf to restore an entire people group, to bring justice. God, we thank you so much that you're an awesome God that chooses to partner with us. Us, the smallest little dot on the planet that you choose to include us in your work. We love you and praise you for that. I pray that we'd take advantage of that, even going into our next seven days, that we'd have eyes to see where you're at work, that we'd make the choice to put fear on the side, to live with abandon, that we'd choose to join you where you're at work. We love you for this opportunity. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.